0: We live inside a dream.
1: I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Welcome to stand and <laughs> if Need wedding dates. I am I'm your host Jeremy Schmidt, uh, and joined
0: with me today is my co-host. Eric Keppel, uh, I'm I'm gonna take off. You can you can do this one alone. <laughs> uh,
1: I took a full thirty second stop to come up with the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was also gonna do a, maybe a riff on like Doctor Weirdheart <laughs> or like <laughs> or like some play on Strange Love. Um, I like
0: Weird Heart. Weird has a good ring to it.
1: Yeah, uh, Doctor know- Weirdheart or how I stopped, uh, how I learned to stop worrying and love Viacom. We've sold out to Viacom, folks. (laughs) Hi.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yes, we are in the uh, Viacom skyscraper, which I'm assuming Mm -hmm. they have in NYC. Yes. Top floor. Top floor. Roof. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I just thought of it. I think because we were talking about uh, uh, your intro, uh, Da Bomb, but I, as a writer, I think you can relate to this. You ever wake up. Uh, you're like about to fall asleep, and you just have an idea it's so good that you have to write it down.
1: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, this happened to me last night, and a uh, little, you, you know, I, I was trying out a new, a new uh, sleeping medication, mm-hmm. and uh, put me in a very like weird state of mind. I d- I don't even like really remember waking up to write this down. But at the foot of my laptop on my desk this morning, there was a, uh, a piece of paper that just said the word foot hats. <laughs> uh, and then underneath, it had a dash next to it and just said another word for socks. So that's great. Uh, apparently, I thought that that was a great idea uh, last night while I was sleeping. <laughs>
1: Uh, that is very funny, and thank God for our notes app, so we can keep each one of uh, our little our little like morsel gems, and uh, eventually become the kings of comedy. I yeah. I wrote down something yesterday um, that I thought was funny, and looking at it now, I guess just because you brought yours up, I'll bring mine up. It says uh, a guy that only has milk to drink. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he like lives in the desert
1: <laughs> yeah so that yeah that'll end up on the ucb mod stage coming up uh sure. <laughs> soon eric a little ucb news i know that our listeners love inside baseball with ucb i oh, yeah. uh, the new mod year started i'm on a brand new team um, very fun yeah very What's, fun uh, very
0: cool what kind of name do you guys got yeah do you have a name yet
1: our name is Jumpman. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Is that a video
0: game reference?
1: It's a Michael Jordan reference.
0: Okay, nice.
1: Yeah. See, I I hated the name, but I hated it least of all. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I hate every name for everything I'm involved in uh, <laughs> until after a while. It, yeah. Names just become completely redundant. and Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the name for our show I mean like we we both share that sentiment of hating names therefore the names of our shows have always been just <laughs> yeah. the most stupid thing we could possibly think of and and yeah. we always go with our first idea.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, I but, do love this one though. I do yeah. like Stan and Dave Need Wedding Days.
1: It is very good. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb, directed by Stanley Kubrick in 1964. Uh, Eric, maybe we we should take care of a little business, though, before we get into the episode.
0: Yes. I also want to hear from you, uh... We'll get into this after the after the after the. Uh, w- so we're doing a we have a Patreon Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing tales from the crypt episodes over there. We are doing uh, a whole bunch of weird shit, uh, tons of weird movies. Uh, uh, it, it's a great we got we got a great great show going on over there. Yeah. Uh, as this after before this episode came out, I think uh, you will ha- be able to hear the first installment of get this, Jeremy, Lie Lie Land, <laughs> our, Hallowe- our, our Hollywood conspiracy podcast where I basically uh, try to red pill Jeremy on uh, various weird uh, Hollywood-related conspiracies. And on the first episode, we're doing, of course, Stanley Kubrick uh, faking the moon landing.
1: I cannot so. believe it's called Li Lie, lie land. That is, <laughs> It's pretty good, that's right? That's the best name I've ever heard for anything that's yes that's amazing lili wow yes. <laughs> i can't believe it that's great you heard it here first folks, <laughs> uh, folks. lili
0: very very fun stuff you gotta it. it's worth it's worth pitching in the five bucks just to hear that episode i mean we haven't recorded it yet but i'm sure it's great yeah
1: I'm, <laughs> yeah i'm yeah as i'm shrugging i'm sure i'm sure it's great i'm sure it's good Uh, I've been doing,
0: uh, you know, I was doing some research for it on a, a, uh, on a flight recently and there wasn't Wi Fi on the flight. So I had, uh, saved to PDF forms of like Reddit threads and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, (laughs) so my like neighbor next to me, like people on the plane just saw me like looking at pdfs of reddit threads <laughs> which must have made me seem like a huge loser
1: like a like a real psycho a real psycho um, yeah no, so i'm, I'm excited i'm
0: excited because i'm
1: i'm not a big consp- i mean i love conspiracy theories but i don't really believe in any of them and i'm kind of been out of the game for a while so i'm excited to get back in the game
0: oh yeah oh yeah that's patreon.com slash eric and jeremy we got a whole bunch of stuff going on over there uh, yeah. you can you can paid uh, a certain amount of money to make us do an episode on a movie, any movie, uh, a whole bunch of shit. Uh, and Jeremy, real quick, before we dive into Strange Love, uh, I, from what I gather, you went to a, a Stanley Kubrick uh, photography exhibit? Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. I- I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, I need to send you some more photos so we can get them up on the Twitter. Or I guess I could post them on the Twitter myself. But, uh, yeah, I went to in in uh, here in lovely sunny California, there's a a, uh, a museum called the Skirball
0: Museum. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, have you heard of this, Eric? Have you ever been here?
0: Heard of it. Never been there.
1: Yeah. So, the Skirball Museum is cultural center, mind you. It's like uh, an exhibit hall where they show various... I don't know. They have different exhibits. But on this particular <laughs> uh, run, they did Stanley Kubrick the photographer. So all the photography of Stanley Kubrick pre um, him being like a director. So it was, it started in like 1946 and went through 1950. Um, mm. And it was all of his stuff he did for look magazine and including something they had there was the, um, the uh, day of the fight which was his boxing oh. documentary, his 18-minute-long boxing documentary that he made. I think at the behest of Look Magazine, I think they, they commissioned that to happen. Yeah, um, that sounds right. And uh, it was great. I got to sit there in the exhibit hall and watch the entire thing. They mm. were also playing um, select clips from Killer's Kiss. I don't know why, but that was the other one they, oh. they were playing. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, for some reason not the uh, maybe they couldn't get a hold of uh Fear and Desire, but they were playing Killer's Kiss. But yeah. some of the some of those photographs I was sending you were fucking amazing. Um and you know, everything there was great. My my absolute favorite one was uh it was like a um like uh, a shot from the ground of a bunch of like wall street men business men about town looking up at the sky at something and they Mm. it's, it's so beautiful. I can't, I can't hardly describe it. Um, but we, we should definitely find a way to post these and get these out to, to our listeners so that they can kind of see some of the, some of the photographs. But, um, he had a whole like Montgomery Clift spread that he did. Uh, there's some really funny like newspaper headline articles like, um, like I'm looking at one right now that just says "What teenagers should know about love," and there's a picture of like an a, like a teen from the 1940s, and she's writing in pen on a wall, "I hate love." <laughs> um, love it, yeah. But it was it's great, and uh, there's there's a particular photograph of a man who is a chemist. And he mm-hmm. is, um, and, I, and this is a picture I did send to you where he is looking at a phosphorescent glowing tube, like a light, and he has very tiny round sunglasses on. And um, in our little uh, tour that our tour guide gave us, she made a reference to the possibility that some of his ideas for Dr. Strangelove came directly from his time as a pho- photographer. Specifically from that very photo. In fact, I'm looking at a picture right now of my of Jackie, my girl, my beautiful girlfriend, holding a photograph of Doctor Strangelove, Peter Sellers as Doctor Strangelove, in front of the photo of the man holding the phosphorescent tube. So it's like a one ah. it's it's it's, it's just like a one for one uh, kind of shot detailing. It's kind of exactly like the type, the style of whatever, like the style of photography that he would use later on in his work, specifically on this film. Eric, I just sent you a text right now, so you can kind of
0: take a look at it. Very cool. Um, Yeah. Hold on. Uh, You might have to redo it. I blocked your number.
1: Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me, uh, I'll send it from my burner cell phone. (laughs)
0: Uh, Okay. Yeah. Your motor Motorola razor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my boost mobile. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So um it's really yeah, it was it was it was a, a charmed it was a, a Valentine's Day gift that my girlfriend gave gave me. Um I was very charmed by that. And it was very emotional. I was like, Wow, this person really knows me, you know.
0: Yeah, um, she's like, this guy's a nerd. He'll like this. Yeah,
1: this guy likes Stanley Kubrick. He, I hear him shouting about it from the other room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was very cool. If you happen to be in California, I highly recommend you check out the Skirball Museum, uh, the Skirball Cultural Center, Stanley Kubrick photography exhibit, because also it's free. Ooh. I believe. I think it's free. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's twelve dollars, <laughs> but it's twelve dollars.
0: It's, f- <laughs> it's either free or twelve dollars.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they had a lot of merch there too, Eric. Which I I was like uh, chomping at the bit to get into that uh, yeah. merch booth to get to buy something like a unique Stanley Kubrick piece of merch. Uh huh. And nothing they had there made any sense. There was like there was a photography book, but it was like two hundred dollars so i couldn't buy that and then there was like some postcards and i was like i don't want this so i just kept the like the program for the museum as my little token
0: did they have a did they have a, the penis statue from from Clockwork Orange?
1: yes they did um, but that was uh behind <laughs> police tape they were <laughs> okay. a crime had been committed with that recently so <laughs> all right um, Interesting. yeah no uh it, it, none of it was um anything that we have touched from any time we have touched in this podcast. So it was all pre this podcast existing, what we've covered in this podcast. Mm. So all pre Fear and Desire type
0: stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool.
1: Yeah, very cool stuff. Um, Anyways, we are covering Dr. Strangelove uh, starring Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, and mm. Sterling Hayden returning Peter Sellers and returning Sterling Hayden from previous works of Stanley Kubrick. Sterling Hayden is the lead in the killing, as you might remember, Eric. Right. Right. And uh Peter Sellers is the lead he's an he's the supporting guy in Lolita. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. So I wanna know before we even get started with any of the ancillary information, I wanna know, Eric, you've you've never seen this film before.
0: Never seen the film, you know i there were parts of it where I was like, this looks familiar. I've either seen this parodied or like I've seen chunks of this movie in some context, mm-hmm. um but I've most certainly never seen it all the way through right uh, so yeah, that was a that was a delight i i this is one of the episodes when we decided to do Kubrick and David Lynch that I've been most most excited for, I think,
1: yeah um did, what did you think of the movie obviously without getting into too much detail because we will cover the entire plot front to back but like what are your thoughts your immediate thoughts
0: <laughs> um i i really like i really like it okay it's good okay it's, it's great to see like an artfully done uh comedy mm-hmm. uh which i feel like don't exist so much anymore uh yeah, it's great. I mean, it's beautiful. Like, it looks incredible. Uh, Peter Sellers is very funny uh, <laughs> yeah. in it. And this was—I watched it. it. It's kind of funny that I had been doing the research, um, the moon landing research, because uh, that has a lot to do with like the Cold War. So I was kind of like reading about the Cold War uh, around the same time that I watched this, mm-hmm. uh, which was fun um, to kind of view it in that context I guess but yeah I think I think it's great I also I I really am a big fan of movies that are like uh historically significant oh sure like for both cinema and just like for for like cinematic history I feel like this is a very important movie and also uh just the context contents of it is like it's just a it's parodying like a very different specific time in history it's very cool
1: yes absolutely I think that um I appreciate this film quite a bit actually this might be in my top three Kubricks of all time I think that this is also one that I've I'm like able to put on at any given moment if that makes sense like I don't have to be in any kind of mood to watch dr Strange love whereas like full metal jacket is definitely a commitment you know what I mean hmm yeah like this is kind of a light it's a comedy so it's a little bit lighter even though it's heavy political satire um it is like also like very funny and very light and uh charming and has like a an old hollywood feel to it whereas you know some of kubrick's other films like it 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 definitely requires a bit more attention and a bit more um of a uh you know, you, again, you got to be in the you got to be in the right mood for it. You know, you're not just you're not just gonna suddenly surprise yourself by putting on Barry Lyndon. No, you know right, that's right. something you gotta you gotta really commit to. Um, but uh, Doctor Strange is a little different, and I think also because it happens in vignettes. You know what I mean? Like it kind of mm-hmm. it unfolds in in a kind of a peculiar way. The story is told in a very strange way. I think that that also helps with. Uh, the rewatchability of it. That being said, though, I think there are a lot of like really deep, hidden, cool stuff that, upon repeat viewings, you will appreciate this movie more and more. I know I have, like, uh, like any good
0: book, Eric. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm rereading Lolita right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like any good fun. book. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the year is 1964. Uh, And we do this before every episode of the show, Eric. What were you doing in
0: 1964? (laughs) Uh, You know, I was. uh, Let's see. Was your dad
1: even born before 1964?
0: (laughs) I think my dad was born before 64. (laughs) I don't know what he was up to. I don't even know, like, how old. I can't do the math in my head anymore. Now that we're in like the 2020s, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't uh you know, I wasn't I wasn't born so but if I was around, you know what I'd probably be doing is I probably be uh I probably be uh getting into the I guess it's a little before the Grateful Dead. Maybe not.
1: It's a little I think it's a little before the Grateful Dead. Maybe like some of their earlier stuff, but you probably would have been a fan of a little band called the Beatles.
0: You might have been such oh, a I fan. Oh, I would have been yeah, freaking yeah. out, Beatlemania.
1: Yeah, you might have been such a fan of them too that you might have actually gone to the theater to see a little film called A Hard Day's Night, which came out oh, in
0: 1964. Very cool.
1: Um, and you might have also been a fan of a of a, a well known British spy named 007, James Bond, and you might have gone to the theater that year to see Goldfinger, probably one of the bigger oh. the bigger uh, James Bond films.
0: You know, I know this is there's like podcasts dedicated to James Bond. I do, and I guess maybe we don't have to do podcasts about every movie that I rewatch. But <laughs> uh, I there are a couple James Bond movies where I'm like, I would like to rewatch that. Right now, I'm uh, I'm looking at the filmography of Tracy Reed, who uh, I really enjoyed in in, in uh, Doctor Strangelove, and I guess she's in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. The uh, original Casino
1: Ro- Royale, is that what yeah. you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um. Also, that remake is fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't sing the praises of the remake with uh, the new guy. What's his name? I say he's new. He's, like, actually a fucking really old guy now at this point.
0: Yeah. Is it uh, Daniel. Daniel Craig. Yeah, Craig? Yeah, yeah. But that, oh, okay. th-
1: that Casino Royale movie is really good. <laughs> um, yeah. Fistful of Dollars came out this year. Um, <sighs> Seduced and Abandoned, the Italian film. You know, the '60s is not a highlight. It's not like a, um, it's not a very successful decade for Hollywood cinema. In fact, the '60s were so, uh, profitless for Hollywood that um, a lot of major studios began to shut down and uh, file for bankruptcy because mm. uh, they weren't making any money. the Famously, the story is that the Hollywood film system that had worked so well for them in the you know 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s w- was starting to wane and die in the 1950s. And then by the 60s, it was almost completely dead. This is when you get the rise of people like Roger Corman, and they usher in the auteur decade, the 70s of... Um, Hollywood filmmaking, where the studios who were not to be trusted and didn't know what people wanted and couldn't figure out how to make movies that sold, ended up taking a back seat to people like Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and George Lucas and enter, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas making blockbusters. And by the 1980s, the hollywood film system will figure out how to mass market and produce films like those like the star warses and the jaws and um they they will end up taking away <laughs> the yeah. uh, the uh, films from the auteurs and uh having a very successful decade of the 80s before crashing down again in the 90s um i really think that that's interesting eric how like the hollywood system continues to like garner success and then fail In in almost like decade long cycles,
0: (laughs) yeah. I wonder where we're at right now with that, and like when the next big failure is. I think when we were when we were doing our very fun Patreon episode about our favorite films of the past of the of the uh, two thousand tens, there were a couple years in there where we were both like, "This is uh, not a good year (laughs) for movies." Yeah,
1: it it's strange, right? Because it almost feels like um, we're living in the in. I I wouldn't say the dawn. I would say the twilight of the superhero films where, um, you know, I think, I think in the aughts superhero films started to like, like, that's like when we got like Spider-Man and X-Men, like the first like big superhero films. I think later in the aughts, Mm -hmm. Batman begins, begins comes out. And then I think it's like, it begins, it begins like a 20 year onslaught of like where the Hollywood film machine reigns supreme for longer than I think it has in a long time because superhero films big budget films end up becoming like the only thing people want to really go see in the theaters <laughs> yeah. and uh, and 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 to their um to their credit you know uh, w- streaming became a thing and Netflix became a thing so watching uh, films at home became way more of a actual like people wanted to do this and it became cheaper for people to have really great, you know, home theaters where they wouldn't have to leave their house. So I think two things kind of happened at once there that kind of killed, you know, independent cinema and like the draw to going to the, to, to like the art house cinema to go see your favorite, you know, Spike Lee film because, yeah. um, Because yeah, because like now we can stream them on Amazon prime and Netflix so, I mean like look at Martin Scorsese now. Like he 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 made The Irishman for Netflix. Like that's all the proof it's, you need right there. The money, yeah. the money for an independent filmmaker or someone who's working slightly outside of the Hollywood film system is Netflix and streaming. And then and then you know you go to the theater to go see Sonic the Hedgehog.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's movies like The Irishman and then there's films like Sonic the Hedgehog.
1: Yeah. Right, <laughs> um, you know, like uh, the '60s were also like um, they were still trying to cash in on that 1950s sort of uh, vibe of like um, like two of the most successful films of the 1960s were My Fair Lady and, and Mary Poppins, and uh, they're like musicals, right? They're like they're like uh, they're like not really indicative, and they don't really reflect the culture of the 1960s, which is like teenagers and youth and. And uh, hippies and smoking pot and uh, rejecting your, your boomer-ass parents, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, amidst all this, though, uh-huh. somebody who is still making money, hand over fist at the cinema is Stanley Kubrick. He is making stuff like Dr. Strangelove. And then later on, the very end of the 60s, 2001 Space Odyssey, and people love them. People love these films. Uh, they're they're uh, box office uh, successes. The budget for Dr. Strangelove was $1.8 million. The box office that it grossed in North America alone was $9.4 million. That is a 900% <laughs> return. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, in 1989, the United States Library of Congress included Dr. Strangelove in its uh, first group of films selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. It was listed as number three on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Laughs list. Um, it's also starring a little-known uh, country uh, music singer-slash-actor Slim Pickens, who we would end up seeing in uh, films like Blazing Saddles, and... Uh, the film is a, uh, is a slight take on Peter George's thriller novel, Red Alert, but obviously it's adapted yes. for the screen by Terry Southern and by Peter George. Eric, this is a yet again, another example of Kubrick using the novelist that the film was based on to write the script of the film or like help construct the
0: script. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Something Kubrick liked to do. (laughs) And then uh, ultimately doing something way different than the the original script. Yes. And, and,
1: and, you know, one way and, uh, you know, if you are a uh, criminal mastermind like Stanley Kubrick, one way that you can get around the, the drama of a of a writer not feeling valued and, and being upset that his uh, material was changed or their material was changed is you just employ them to yeah. write the script for you. And then you, you drop little suggestions and little hints and little, uh, you know, pitches that you are definitely intending on filming in the film and you make them put it in their own script for you. So it's like it's almost like a, a little manipulation technique. It's almost like they came up with it, you know. Right, um, so I guess a couple of pieces of trivia about the film that we can we can throw out there is uh, I got it. You know, I'm a big uh, Siskel and Ebert head. You know this about me, Eric? I love my Siskel oh, yeah. and Ebert. Uh, this is Gene Siskel's favorite movie of all time. Oh, R.I.P. Gene's. I guess R.I.P. Roger Ebert also, but Gene Siskel, R.I.P. We love
0: you. I'm gonna say Siskel, R.I.P. Ebert. No comment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny you say that because Siskel was um, traditionally a huge David Lynch defender. Like if you watch those old Blue Velvet, like on uh, uh, on At the Movies with uh, uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, they do Blue yeah. Velvet. It's very famous watching Ebert and Siskel fight over Blue Velvet. Like how <laughs> Ebert just did not get it, did not like it, and Gene Siskel was like, no, you see, it's funny. It's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, this will be Stanley Kubrick's last black and white film, RIP, the black and white era. We should have a sound effect here to, uh, to sound it off.
0: Yes, I will uh, definitely remember to put one in. Okay, and that was the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Columbia Pictures agreed uh, to provide financing for the film only if Peter Sellers played at least four major roles. In the studio's eyes, Sellers playing multiple ro- roles was the one reason Lolita was so successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so this, there is a, I, I promised I'd talk about uh, this this moment in, in film oh, history yeah. where Peter Sellers uh, gets one over on Stanley Kubrick. And I will do that just as soon as I find where it might be the, the, the piece of trivia here. Um, bu- 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 um, e- yes. Okay. So Peter Sellers was cast originally at, to play four characters in the film If you notice, Eric, though, he only does play three. It is the British officer, the president, and Dr. Strangelove. Peter Sellers Uh was also cast to play Major T.J. King Kong, who ends up being played by Slim Pickens, the country, um, you know, like the cowboy. But he had trouble developing a Texas accent. When Sellers broke his ankle, Stanley Kubrick decided to cast another actor who naturally fit the role. John Wayne... Never responded. (laughs) Bonanza star Dan Blocker declined the role because the script's progressive political content. Kubrick cast Slim Pickens because of his work on One-Eyed Jacks. Pickens was not told that the movie was a comedy and was only shown the script for scenes he was in. As a result, Pickens played the role, quote-unquote, straight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, So the story... the legend goes that Peter Sellers actually just was going through kind of a hard time with the drink and the drugs, and didn't really actually want to play a fourth character in Stanley Kubrick's uh, political comedy. Um, uh-huh. In fact, uh, it is it is well known that he didn't he was not keen on multiple takes, one of Stanley Kubrick's trademarks. Kubrick felt that Sellers' performance improved with each successive take, while Sellers couldn't understand why he was being asked to keep doing the same scene over (laughs) and over. Uh, So the legend is that uh, Peter Sellers actually faked his ankle injury and showed up to the set of Dr. Strangelove to play the role of Major uh, King Kong, TJ King Kong, but then was you know, ushered offset when Kubrick was like, you obviously can't play the role. You have a giant cast on and you have crutches like, <laughs> yeah. and so I was just yeah. like, Oh, I guess I do. I guess I can't play it. And uh, Kubrick reluctantly ushered him away and, and recast the part. But it is the it is a it is a it is a very interesting factoid because that is not something that would usually fly with Stanley Kubrick. Like Stanley yeah. Kubrick, very yeah. rarely had stuff like that happen to him, where he wasn't in control and he was forced into a situation where he had to, uh, you know, go with his second choice rather than his first choice. Um, right. And I'm sure if you know Sellers had played it any differently, Kubrick would have found a way to manipulate him into. Uh, the agreed upon uh uh four character role. <laughs>
0: right, right. Um that's that's so wild that 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 was even like that there was a time in movies where like Stanley Kubrick had to have this guy in four four different roles. Right. So it was pretty crazy.
1: Right. I, I it makes me think of what the contracts were like for films like um you know, I don't know, like Doctor Doolittle right? Yeah. Where Eddie Murphy has to play like his entire family. You know, I wonder if part of the contracts are like, all right, Eddie, you got to play at least six characters. We have to top the last film. And him yeah. being like, I don't even know how, who, who else would I play? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it, something that I read was uh, George C. Scott mm-hmm. um, kind of approached the film as like more, he, he didn't really approach it uh, as a comedy because it's, because of the subject matter, right? And I guess Kubrick was would uh, at, after he had gotten like all these more serious takes from George C. Scott, he'd just be like, "All right, now just do like a crazy one, just just for funsies. We'll just yeah. do we'll just do one crazy one at the end." And those are the ones that he used for the most part.
1: That's great. Yeah, it, it's it's so interesting that Kubrick was just had patience. You know, like you see that in his film like filmography in that he only made films like once every ten years at some point. But yeah. He like he like just had this insane patience where he could just do takes over and over and over again knowing he wanted one specific thing but he wouldn't tell you what it was because he wanted you to arrive at it naturally because that was going to be the best version of that thing that he wanted. It's like yeah. It's so insane to me the thought that a director assumes that much control. I mean, it really does show up on screen too that like Performances in Kubrick films are unlike any other performances in other films. We've kind of talked about this before, but I, you know, I hate comparing him to Wes Anderson, but it—he's Wes Anderson's really the only other director I can think of off the top of my head that, like, when you're in watching his films, like the director's choices are larger than the performances a lot of times. Yeah, where yeah. like, like the the premise of the Kubrick film is bigger than you know, Malcolm McDowell playing Alex in (laughs) Clockwork Orange. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I also love that George C. Scott famously has that big trip and fall moment in the war room where he like falls backwards. That was actually an accident.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of stuff in this was accidents. And I think that uh, Kubrick like loved, um, loved improvisation in this particular context. I think he kind of knew going in that that was the energy capturing that energy was what was going to make this film ultimately successful. Uh, And he's right. Peter Sellers improvised most of his lines in the film. Um, And Kubrick, apparently the story goes too that you know Peter Sellers he was such a big fan of his as as just a comedy fan Kubrick would watch Peter Sellers takes and he'd be rolling on the floor laughing <laughs> the entire time yeah. that the filming was happening it, 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 even though they they ended on pretty bad terms like he would never use Peter Sellers again after this oh. they uh they did have this like this relationship that was very healthy on set that was like you know Kubrick responding so over the top to sellers would fuel sellers to uh, more making more and more insane choices just to you know keep keep the laughs coming. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, uh, George C. Scott also to add on your uh, piece of trivia, he was re- uh, reputedly annoyed that Stanley Kubrick was pushing him to overact for his role. While he vowed to never work with Kubrick again, Scott eventually saw this as one of his favorite performances.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like my f- hes my favorite character in this. He's dude, so fucking funny. When he
1: slaps his belly, it's great. It's the funniest <laughs> it's so thing good. in the movie <laughs> to me. Uh, also, yeah. um, a little-known actor at the time, but would become a much bigger uh, superstar um, for his very iconic role in a little movie called Star Wars. Is in this film, James Earl Jones.
0: <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, yeah.
1: He's one of the pilots in the um, in yep. the bomber. Eric, I guess that's enough of that's enough trivia. Even though I could do trivia on this film for years, I, I love this film. I think the stories surrounding it are amazing. But we we got to get into the episode, my dude.
0: Oh yeah, we got we got to dive in.
1: Okay, so the film uh begins very famously with a a lovemaking session between two airplanes. It is <laughs> yeah. beautiful music um uh played uh, very romantically over a plane uh giving fuel to another plane, but the the imagery is very phallic and
0: uh, yes. Yeah. And those titles are very cool. They're very like they seem very like modern almost like yeah. you know, Kubrick was a little ahead of his time with that with that font there. It's it like, like a
1: hand drawn, right?
0: Yeah, right. it yeah. looks like something you'd see at the beginning of like a Noah Bombach movie or something.
1: Yeah. I I think all the artwork by the way surrounding the promotional materials and marketing for Doctor Strange Love feels very um uh oh, what's his name, Terry uh not Terry Gross um
0: the NPR guy,
1: no <laughs> NPR uh, lady, uh, Ralph Steadman. It feels very uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, like that kind of Gonzo art, like um, like very crude, uh, almost like New Yorker style drawings. Like if you oh, just right. look at the cartoon image of the cover of Doctor Strange Love, the poster, it's very like, uh, almost Monty Python esque.
0: Uh, my apologies to Terry gross. I, (laughs) I've never heard Terry gross before. I always just assumed, uh, it was was a a man. It was a man. No, it is is a woman. It's a woman. Uh, apologies Um. to all the gross heads out there. (laughs) Also, I heard that, uh, uh, the guy who did like the titles also did the titles for stop making sense, which, Oh, cool. When you see it, you'll, uh, it makes sense.
1: Yeah. When you'll see it, it will make sense. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah what did, did you like the opening did you did you find this to be funny or ironic at all using I mean I guess it's I guess it's sort of kind of a ha- like been done to death at this point now thing but like the whole like using the militarization of stuff to like represent sexual deviousness is is that's that's apropos right that's like still, we still we still yeah. see a lot of satire that's in that light um sure. I, I don't know if it started here but it's definitely funny here that like you know, this is a very male driven film. Like I think oh, yeah. every character in it is male. And most of the time they're talking about guns and war as if they're talking about dicks and, and fucking. So, yeah. Yeah. um, that, that is, I guess the central thematic metaphor is that the impotence of men, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who, who like to go to war and send young men up to, to die. Uh, The United States Air Force Brigadier General Jack D. Ripper is commander of Burpleson Air Force Base, which houses the Strategic Air Command, SAC, or SAC, 843rd Bomb Wing, flying B-52 bombers armed armed with hydrogen bombs. The 843rd Wing is flying on airborne alert two hours from their targets inside the USSR. General uh, Ripper orders his executive officer, Group Captain Lionel Mandrake of the UK Royal Air Force, to put the base on alert. Ripper also uses Wing Attack Plan R to the patrolling aircraft, one of which is commanded by Major TJ King Kong. All of the aircraft commence an attack flight on the USSR and set their radios to allow communications only through their CRM one fourteen discriminators, which was designed to accept only communications preceded by a secret three-letter code known only to General Ripper. So, mm-hmm. what do? You, how do you feel about the setup so far? I mean, did you get all that from the film?
0: It was, uh, you know, I I have to be honest, and I'm not uh, I don't have a great attention span, but I <laughs> I, I had I did like about halfway through the movie. I think I like read. Up to the point where I was in the Wikipedia plot because I was just I kept getting distracted by like the way certain things looked and like uh, just sort of like enamored with certain actors where I would like just be looking at them and not really absorbing the story, Um, which isn't a bad thing. It's just my attention span and what I was kind of drawn to. But no, I didn't exact. I didn't like totally understand what was going on until I read a little bit about the plot
1: yeah i think that even if some of the details are lost on you at the beginning the film does still do a good job of letting you in on the bigger scope of what's going on like I, i remember watching this film and getting that this guy general ripper had ordered a fleet of airplanes to go attack the ussr to perhaps bomb it, like I remember, like that, but like all the details of turning off the communication so that only certain people can contact them, all that stuff, it, it gets kind of muddled for me. But yeah, but like having it read, having it like read out loud, and like having seen it like listed on a Wikipedia page, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that yeah, that that actually does make sense. That 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 would heighten the reality that like not. Anyone can just contact these people. It all has to be contacted through this person who just so happens Mm, to be slowly losing their mind. Um, Mandrake discovers... And and that Mandrake is played by Peter Sellers, FYI, and Ripper is played by Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden plays a wartime general who is... I mean, I think his performance in this is bar none probably up there with any one of sellers performances. Like I think that the other performances by the people in this film are as good as sellers is doing like Sterling Hayden is so fucking funny as this general. What did you, what did you think of his performance is like that? Like no nonsense, very dry monotone.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. He's like Uh, always smoking
1: a giant dick like cigar, right? Yeah. 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 Um, And, of course, it's, like, shot beautifully, so it also looks cool (laughs) and stupid at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mandrake discovers that no war order has been issued by the Pentagon, and he tries to stop Ripper. Who locks them both in his office? <laughs> <laughs> Ripper tells Mandrake that he believes the Soviets have been using fluorida- uh, fluoridation of the American water supplies to pollute the precious body- bodily fluids of Americans. <laughs> Mandrake yeah. realizes that Ripper has gone insane. Eric, I love this very key detail of Ripper's kind of like him losing his mind. It's it's kind of in the details, right? Because he's not just like crazy or bloodthirsty. He's a conspiracy theorist. Right. Yeah. He's like he is like a um a Trumpian, like kind of alt right, like uh you know, when you hear people talk about fluoride and water, you know, that 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 connotates a certain type of person. Somebody who probably I think the first time I heard about fluoride in water was, um, like, the conspiracy that the Nazis were pumping that into the water supply to, like, st- help sterilize people in uh, yeah, Nazi this,
0: Germany. Yeah, this was a real conspiracy theory that people believed in, like, t- around this time, I and, guess.
1: And, and then continued to believe in it, I think people still kind of actually might even believe. Yeah, there are people
0: that, that that still believe it. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I guess uh, if you were to pump massive amounts of fluoride into water, it would kind of cause sterilization. So, like, the cause and effect of this isn't actually... Like that is like he is right to think if he is getting fluoride in his water that it would pollute his precious bodily fluids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: but I would say uh, drinking rainwater would probably be worse than yeah, probably <laughs> drinking yeah. fluoride 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 uh, water.
1: Right. Um, in the war room at the Pentagon, General Buck Turgitson or Turgitson, <laughs> yeah. briefs President Merkin Muffley. and other officers about how Plan R enables a senior officer to launch a strike against the Soviets if all superiors have been killed in a first strike on the United States. Uh, So we should back up just a little bit. Like, uh, george c scott is uh sleeping he's like having like his moment with his lady friend right Mm -hmm. in his in his chambers where he's like wearing like an open hawaiian shirt
0: (laughs) (laughs) very funny phone call scene
1: yeah and uh you know george c scott is uh general Patton. famously he's also um i i remember him most as uh, in the rescuers down under (laughs) as the voice of the guy who catches the eagle have you ever seen that film
0: a long time ago.
1: Yeah, but he's got this very like uh, iconic voice. I'll tell you what we're gonna do, Mr. President. And he uh, he slaps his belly during this phone call, and it's <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever seen.
0: It's it's very good.
1: Uh, but he's very um you know they they present all of the generals, all of the military people in sort of a similar way, in that they're all like um they're all war crazy and bloodthirsty basically. Right. Yeah, they're all they're all playing God, but they're also horny for it too. Like I, <laughs> I would I would call George C. Scott's performance in this very horny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then that's juxtaposed against like the more nerd suits of the president, Merkin Muffley, who plays uh, you know, it's Peter Sellers playing a very uh buttoned up um bald president of the United States. Uh what did you think of Sellers as the president? <laughs>
0: Uh, I love it. I, I love this character. He's very funny. He reminds me of uh, Will Hines, kind of.
1: Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. He is kind of like Will Hines. Yeah. Um, uh, l- yeah. Yeah. A lot of the comedy with Merkin Muffley is like in those phone calls he has with Dimitri, the Russian, uh, well, the Soviet premier. Um, he's like, it's it. the phone calls are always framed as if they were in a relationship
0: yeah so he's like
1: he's like dimitri come on no i didn't say that dimitri oh stop it you know it's like very like uh like somebody talking to their scorned lover or something
0: right so Uh, yeah i love that line i can't remember it but when it ends with like everything's fine or whatever do you know Mm -hmm, what i'm talking mm -hmm. about when he's like I can't remember the line. I can't remember that.
1: the line either, but I think I know what you're what you're referring yeah. to. Uh, Turgidson reports that his men are trying every possible three-letter CRM code to issue the stand-down order, but that could take over two days, and the planes are due to reach their targets in a couple of hours. Muffley orders the U.S. Army to storm the base and arrest General Ripper. Turgidson then attempts to convince Muffley to let the attack continue, but Muffley refuses to be Party to a nuclear Airstrike Instead he brings Soviet ambassador Alexei de Sedesky Into the war room to telephone Soviet Premier Dmitry Kissoff On the hotline <laughs> 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 uh, On the Wikipedia hotline is in quotations Which I love um, yeah. Muffly <laughs> warns the premier Of the impending attack and offers to Reveal the positions of the bombers And targets so that Soviets can Protect themselves um, I also love how he describes uh, uh, Ripper. Uh, the president describes Ripper as going just a little funny in the head. Yeah. he's like, you know, he just went a little funny, you know, Dimitri, a little funny in the head, a, a little funny. <laughs> like uh, yeah, <laughs> like the way the language that they're using to describe these events as if they're not going they're not like catastrophic world ending events is very silly. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's like yeah. describing somebody who yelled at somebody a- at your office. <laughs> It's like, uh, you know, they just uh, went a little funny. Um, After a heated discussion in uh, Russian with the premier, the ambassador informs President Muffley that the Soviet Union has created a doomsday machine, which consists of many buried bombs jacketed with cobalt thorium G connected to a computer network set to detonate them automatically should any nuclear attack strike uh, the country. Within 2 months after detonation, the cobalt thorium G would encircle the planet in a radioactive doomsday shroud, <laughs> wiping out <laughs> all human and animal life, rendering the surface of the earth uninhabitable for about 93 years. The device cannot be dismantled or untriggered as it is programmed to explode in any such a- if any such attempt is made. When the presidents, uh, yeah, so I guess we should uh, kind of just go over like a little bit of that. Like this is this is sort of in keeping with the paranoia, right? of um, Of the Cold War is that we thought a nuclear a nuclear strike to another country would trigger another nuclear strike, and perhaps we were yes. also paranoid that that the Soviets had some sort of doomsday machine. I mean, the idea of the Cold War is that we're playing chicken with each other, right?
0: Right, and the Soviets are are a lot more secretive uh, than the U.S. Yeah,
1: and I I, I always have found and that very interesting that like we would end up finding out years later that the, we actually bankrupted the Soviet Union in the arms yeah. race because they actually didn't have the resources we quite thought they did.
0: Right, but they were they were ahead, like in in a lot of things. Uh, they they were ahead in in um, like uh, developing uh bombs and stuff like that
1: yeah. yeah um so when the president's wheelchair-bound scientific advisor the former Nazi German dr Strangelove points out that such a doomsday machine would only be a f- uh, an effective deterrent if everyone knew about it de Sideski replies that the Soviet premier had planned to reveal its existence, to the world the following week what did you feel how did you feel about the introduction of dr strangelove because he's introduced earlier right and then he comes back much later as like a way bigger force but yeah um, yeah it's like you don't realize he's sitting at the table right and then all of a sudden you just see smash cut to his wheelchair kind of wheeling out of his spot and then coming over to the president right
0: yeah it kind of came out of nowhere for me a little bit um yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. It's interesting to me, like how late he comes into the film.
1: Yeah, uh, and and I guess because if you're watching the film, you're kind of wondering who the hell is Doctor Strange Love, like what right. it, what is why is the film called Doctor Strange Love? What is this? What is that about? Um, yeah, I also love that uh, Sellers is doing his patented like German. Accent like he's doing his character that he did in Lolita already, you know the, like when he was the um the 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 school counselor coming to, um Mm -hmm. uh James Mason's house and like convincing Lolita convincing that Lolita needed to stay in the play. That's essentially the same character just dressed up differently.
0: Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah. Uh.
1: Meanwhile, U.S. Army troops arrive at uh, Burpleson, still sealed Uh by Ripper's order. To take over the base after a heated firefight with Air Force security policemen, General Ripper then shoots and kills himself while Mandrake identifies Ripper's CRM code from his desk blotter, OPE, a variant of both peace on earth and purity of essence. (laughs) 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 Uh, Purity of essence was something that um, Ripper was talking about a lot during it where he was talking specifically about how sometimes women want to take his essence, but he refuses to let them as if to like imply, like he is, he is like staying a virgin on purpose. Like he's specifically not sleeping with women because they just want his, (laughs) his, his sweet bodily fluids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fluids, uh, talk, a
1: lot of fluids talk. Um, yeah, so what did you uh how do you feel about Mandrake and uh Ripper like like their continued scenes throughout the film? Like I think Mandrake's whole like run where he's talking about like how he can't do something because the string in his leg. He has a string in his leg. Do you remember that?
0: Uh kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's a very famous, like, uh, improvisational riff that Sellers is doing where he talks like he says, Oh, no, you see, I couldn't, uh, because there, there's a string in my leg, you see. It's, uh, mm. and, um, it cracked everybody up on set. It's still very funny to watch to this day, but, like, he, he riffs that he has a string in his leg, and that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that, that does, doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, um, so, uh, using the recall code, uh, SAC successfully recalls all of the bombers, but one, no one in the war room knows that a Soviet surface to air missile has damaged the fuel tanks of that plane and destroyed its radio equipment, making it impossible to recall its particular plane, even with the correct recall mode. So I guess, uh, uh, the plane getting attacked by the Soviets sort of damages its radio. So like the one that some Pickens is on that, uh, James Earl Jones is also on that, that particular plane cannot be contacted at this point. So we right. sort of see like the writings on the wall here. It's sort of a classic, like twi- almost like twilight zone premise of like, you know, you're trying to recall the plane cause you made a mistake. You actually don't want to trigger the end of the world. And then you can't get in touch with the plane. It's already too late. Yep uh muffley discloses the plane's target to help soviets find it but its commanding officer major kong with his fuel dwindling has switched to a closer uh, a closer backup target instead as the plane approaches the new target the crew is unable to open the damaged bomb bay doors kong enters the bomb bay and repairs the bloke uh the broken electrical wiring while sitting on the h-bomb Whereupon the doors open and the bomb is dropped with Kong straddling it. Yeah. The bomb falls and (laughs) detonates over a Soviet ICBM site. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, Back in the war room, Dr. Strangelove recommends that the president gather, gather several hundred thousand people to live in deep underground mines where the radiation will not penetrate. He suggests a 10 to 1 female to male <laughs> ratio yes. for a breeding program to repopulate the earth uh, once the radiation has subsided. Turgidson worries that the Soviets will do the same, warns about a mind shift a shaft gap. Uh, Dr. Strangelove declares he has a plan, but then rises from his wheelchair and announces that he can walk again. Soon, right. the Doomsday Machine kicks into operation. The film ends with a montage of many nuclear explosions accompanied by Vera Lynn's version of the popular World War II song, We'll Meet Again. Don't know Classic. where? Don't know when. Uh, I want to just take a brief moment to talk about how amazing that ending is um, before we get into our th- overall thoughts yeah. of the film. Uh, it doesn't... So, so we, we we read it in the from the, how it's laid out in Wikipedia, and it's actually not that's not the order, right? Like, uh, Dr. Strangelove does all that. And then the bomb drops. Yeah. yeah. It, the, the, the bomb dropping and some Pickens like writing it, like it's a bucking Bronco is like the last thing you see. <laughs> right.
0: I think so. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think that's the last thing you see. Cause you see it and it hits the ground and then you see bombs exploding. And that's when the song kicks in and like the, the, the credits roll. But Dr. Strangelove is like his whole thing at the end is basically this monologue where he's suggesting that um, we return to the ideals that was po- that was uh, posited by the Nazis in Nazi Germany He has been a sleeper Nazi agent basically the whole time and he suggests this like sort of like selective breeding uh, program. Uh, for which like uh you know we will go underground and we will start basically a new civilization uh and just simply the bomb hitting the um the uh the ground like like miraculously causes him to walk again it like it, it like uh it's it's like a metaphor for the like the impotence and the i guess um like, uh, like how we, uh, quote unquote, cut the legs off of Nazi Germany. Um, it's a metaphor for like that thing rising again, in, in right. a way, because he literally rises okay. to salute Heil, uh, to do a Heil Hitler. He,
0: okay, he yeah. says, Mein okay, Fuhrer,
1: I can walk. He he yells <laughs> out, Mein Fuhrer, like Hitler, I can walk.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, 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 that makes sense. I didn't like actually necessarily get the ending. <laughs> Yeah. Until you explained it, that's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, the ending is it's oh, it's it's like it's like he got he gets his boner again. Essentially, he gets his okay. like uh, his power back or whatever. The Nazis get their power back, um, and and I think the whole thing is sort of just equating like um, Nazi Germany and the ideas of the Nazis to kind of what the parallel of what we were doing in the Cold War, of you know, stocking up. You know, weapons, uh, the militarization of uh, your nation, uh, having a nationalistic, um, you know, us versus them sort of mentality, like, a lot of that stuff is, you know, not original to Nazi ideology, but definitely, like, we just saw the Nazis doing this, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, we just saw the Nazis trying to become the greatest superpower in the world, and we literally were doing the exact same thing, trying to beat out Russia for the same goal, so Eric, what do you think of Doctor Strange Love?
0: <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm glad I watched this movie. Uh, I feel like I'll probably see this one again at some point. It's uh, hmm, there's something weird happening. Uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's very funny. Uh, it looks incredible. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I will say like the only thing uh, that that kind of tripped me up was i i just like i said uh earlier like i just kind of kept getting fixated on like various like visual things mm-hmm. uh where i sort of like uh lost track of the story after a certain point but i feel like i got i got the gist of of what was going on and uh, you know the humor the humor worked very well uh, yeah. for me um there was, uh, did I read that there's, there's also, there was an alternative ending that they filmed, right?
1: Oh, you know I, I, I don't know about that.
0: I read that there is an alternative ending, uh, that they actually shot that where the film ends with a pie fight in the war room.
1: Oh, right. Yes, I do. Yes, I do remember that. Cause there's the, all those famous photographs of them covered in pie, like Stanley Kubrick included covered in pie. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, there's also that yeah. great
1: scene, like I, I, unfortunately because you know these episodes can only be so long, and like we have to get through the entire plot. Like, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't ta- touch on and that we won't touch on. But like one of the things I think is so funny is that that wrestling scene where like George C. Scott like wrestles the Russian guy. Yeah, <laughs> like they yeah. fall over like literally tackling each other.
0: George C. Scott is my favorite. I could watch him. I I, I could watch him in this his scenes in this movie over and over when he's uh when when they're gonna re- let the like Russian ambassador in, and he's like, but the, he'll see the board. Yes, but he'll uh, see the big
1: board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he, uh, I could watch him chew gum all day too, because he's like, chews yeah. so much gum in this.
0: He, he really, like really aggressively. And there's also one shot where they just cut to him briefly, and he's he's like, got his leg up on something, and he's like chewing really hard, and he just offers a p- stick of gum to some other guy. Uh, who declines it. It's very funny. But uh, yeah, a uh, huge fan of this movie. I like it. It's, yeah. Uh, very funny. What about you?
1: Um. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite Stanley Kubrick films. I, I will say that like, this isn't my favorite type of comedy necessarily. Like I remember one time in an interview, BJ Novak talked about Harvard comedy as like everyone trying to rewrite Dr. Strangelove. Um, and that feels Mm. like, I like that observation of like, this does feel like a Harvard comedy, doesn't it? Like it's, it's not, um, ha ha funny. It's like, Oh, (laughs) I see what you did there. That's clever. It's, it's cleverness uh, in a lot, a lot of ways more than it is like, um, uh, you know, it's rather than like an anchorman type thing, but it's like, um, but I, I will say that there, in this film, there is a lot of laugh out loud moments and there and a lot of the humor still very much holds up because it is so silly. I do think that there is a, um, a Monty Python-esque element to the film, especially, you know, just the fact that Sellers is playing multiple roles really makes it feel like a sketch comedy film in a way. Where like you have the mm-hmm. sketch of the British officer and Sterling Hayden, you have the sketch of the war room, you have the sketch of them in the airplane. Like they feel like sketches to me. Like Doctor Strangelove feels like the unusual thing in his own sketch. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that overall, the film really works for me. I think that a lot of it's it's interesting watching the film today with what we have going on in our political system today that hopefully ends up changing in 2020 or, you know, with the election coming up in 2020 fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, you can really see like, you know, I think that we, we didn't have a very high minded, we, we didn't have a lot, ton of respect for our world leaders, Back in the '60s, necessarily, but we definitely have way less respect for them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think you know, people hated Reagan, people hated Nixon. Um, but today you can, it really does feel like wow, the clowns in Washington have, the monkeys are running the circus, so to speak. Like, right. <laughs> uh, it really does feel like oh my god, like this type of scenario could happen when you have trigger happy, horny like world bloodthirsty world leaders at the helm. Um, and I, I think that's something that really sucks about today is like, we don't like president Merkin Muffley in a way is like kind of a cuck. He's kind of like a straight laced doofus, but at least he's Mm -hmm. on the side of history that wants to prevent world domination. I feel like our president right now is more like George C. Scott's character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where he's just this yeah. horny kind of fat like uh oh if they hit us we'll hit them back or gets sort of a thrill out of like fucking you know drama and 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 violence and uh you know it's it's kind of a bummer i i, I don't i don't want to live in a dr strange love uh future eric i guess is what i'm trying to say
0: you know what me neither
1: yeah <laughs> But that's going to do it for our coverage of Stanley Kubrick's uh, Dr. Strangelove or... That'll do her. How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Um, we will be covering uh, next week on the show uh, the film Lost Highway, correct?
0: Twin
1: Peaks. We're back into Twin Peaks. We're back into Twin Peaks. Okay. I couldn't remember the order if it was Twin Peaks then Lost Highway. We're back
0: into Twin Peaks, Jeremy, and uh, I'm going to uh, suggest, so here's the thing, we were doing, I feel like the three episodes, Mm -hmm. an episode was doing, do you feel good about that? Do you want to do that again?
1: I do like that for covering Twin Peaks. I do worry that it will take us a year and a half to get through season It will take us a long time. (laughs) It will take us a
0: long time. But that's okay, Uh,
1: you know, That's that's what people are, that's what we're signed, that's what we signed up for with this.
0: Okay, that's what we're going to do. I will say the first episode of season two is uh, 90 minutes long. Jeez
1: so. Louise. <laughs> like, well, it's like the we pilot, could, right? The pilot yeah. was long.
0: We could do the first two episodes or we could do the first three. Uh, up Let's to do you. the
1: first three. The for, for, first three is fine. I don't mind covering all that ground. That's okay. It'll be a longer episode probably, but that's all right.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so look forward to that. The first three episodes of season two. Uh, of Twin Peaks, I'm excited and, uh, to get
1: back there. I'm excited to get back you, into that world.
0: If you haven't checked out the debut of Lililand, uh, dig in. I mean, there'll be you'll be able to listen to it on the free feed uh, uh, to uh, a decent chunk of it. And if you want to hear the full thing, get on that Patreon, baby. Patreon.com/slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, weekly, almost weekly episodes. We're doing some good shit over there. Uh, and Jeremy. Do you have anything you'd like to plug?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, hop over and uh, check out uh, our other podcasts that we uh, that we produce here on the Eric and Jeremy Network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, video Games, a comedy show is a show that I host. It's all about video games. We take topics and we pull them apart. This week, we have done an episode on hot gamer takes. And uh, spoiler alert, Ooh. they're not that hot. They're more just funny. So... Uh, so, check them out.
0: Yes. And also, uh, check out my other podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience.
1: <laughs> yes. You know, his teeth, white as hell.
0: They're pretty white. Yeah. There's something, <laughs> something to that uh, sensory deprivation tank. <laughs> uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.